A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. That's the second time it's gone off. Never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. For a weekend of sport that was supposed to be wiped out by the weather, it turned out to be a pretty decent weekend of sport. All in all, hello everybody, welcome to Monday's Second Caps Podcast. Hi Murph, hi Kieran. Hello Owen. Hi Murph, hi Kieran. Hi Ken. Hi Kenny. <laughs> How are you doing? Al? How are you doing? All good. Yeah. All you do is cast the net a little wider than usual. Okay. That's all yeah. you have to do. All the way to Mexico City, for example, where Phil Mickelson won the World Golf Championship. His first title since 2013, I believe. You were watching this, were you? The Indian Super League, which threw up Robbie Keane's managerial debut, in which he picked himself up front and was repaid when he scored the winning goal. More on that in the football podcast today. I know you gave the Super Rugby a whirl this weekend. Oh, God, on Friday, Friday morning. Um, I actually watched more than, more than 90 seconds of the Guangzhou Derby from the Chinese Premier League, which... Actually produced a goal. It was four three. It was four two when I turned on. It was f- uh, within literally three seconds of turning on the television. I'd seen a goal in the Guangzhou Derby, but uh, I, I I watched some Super Rugby. Um, and it's not something to be honest that I've watched a massive amount of. I saw that guy. I don't know if you remember him from the the Lions tour last summer, but he was this kind of floppy haired out half. Uh, who smiled benevolently every time he uh, was about to take a kick. So just in, in the course of his run-up, right basically just before he swang, uh, swung his leg, uh, he had this really weird benevolent smile on his face as he was looking towards the post. So I, obviously his name is Damien McKenzie. I wouldn't have been able to tell you this on Friday morning. I am able to tell you it now. I mean, Sunday was supposed to be a day where I could watch both Gola teams playing live on television. I mean, it could have been the greatest day of my life. That's not how it turned out, Owen. So I, I kind of, I can't help but feel a little robbed. But yes, it's true. On there, there was support out there if you were willing to cast the net you, a little wide. You were okay, Ken, with the truncated sporting fixture list. There was there any problems with the Premier League? No. <laughs> yeah, I'm so basic, Owen. Aren't I? <laughs> Football was on. Yep. Yeah, I was, I was happy Nothing to see here. As long as the old Premier League is on, I was happy enough with it. Of course, sometimes you do have to go out into the freezing conditions and make your own fun, as they were doing in Amsterdam over the weekend. We got a few tweets about this over the last couple of days, imploring yes. us to <coughs> <coughs> offer an apology to Katie Corge, superb American broadcaster, of course, the NBC host, who was mocked by many, including us, when she made the following comment during the Winter Olympics opening ceremony a few weeks back. 
Skating is an important mode of transportation in a city like Amsterdam, which sits at sea level. As you all know, it has lots of canals that can freeze in the winter. So for as long as those canals have existed, the Dutch have skated on them to get from place to place, to race each other and also to have fun. We laughed. We mocked. We read with interest when Court yourself apologised, saying I was trying to salute your historical passion for the sport, Netherlands, but it didn't come out that way. I'm sorry. That hasn't stopped Ian Cavanagh and John Barrett directing my attention to report over the weekend. Ice skaters take to Amsterdam's canals during Europe's big freeze. Yeah, it's, because of the beast from the east. It I mean, it's so not like... cold in the Dutch city that some canals have frozen over, turning them into a winter wonderland for skaters as the rest of Europe shivers. Yeah, well, that's like saying, you know... The... Scotland are an embarrassment to world sport. No, that's not, what I, that's not where I was going with that at Scotland all. Scotland are a disgrace to world sport. <laughs> We'll dredge uh, that one up for the rest of the week. No, that, that's like saying that, uh, that, you know, sledding down hills is the traditional Irish <laughs> method of, you know... Well, it would be if descent, we... Yeah. If, it, if, you know, if we get the beast from the east for five months a year. Katie Courage is still wrong. We were still right to slag her off, and her apology still stands as the last word in proving us right and her... It also origin. looks a little bit... I must say, all the Dutch Amsterdam-based um, skaters look pretty high quality. Not quite winter or Olympics quality, but they're all pretty comfortable on the ice there. I do have to say, it looks a little bit precarious. How <laughs> thick is that ice? Is there a chance it might start to crack? Um, um, I'd, yeah, I mean, I'd say also the problem might be of, of running into things. You know, you'd want to be quite... I, I don't know if... I mean, I guess the ice is probably at a pretty uniform level, right? What do you mean yeah. by running into things? Well, uh, well like what, uh, if what you've objects ever, do you think? If you've ever been, if you've ever been to Amsterdam and... You see that those canals are packed with quite a lot of stuff, usually boats, yeah. um, things that are kind of parked there. But, I mean, they're quite big, though, really, aren't they, boats? I mean, if you're going to... Yeah, well, I'm not a, I'm not a high-level skier or skater. Um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be confident. I mean, if you're going around a, a rink with, like, padded walls and, you know, n- no obstructions, I find that dangerous enough. So this kind of wild environment... I'm not so sure. I'm sitting in the studio here with two seriously extreme athletes. That's extreme without any... I j- just want to put that on record. Yeah. yeah. Everybody knows the most important item to have in your house during extreme weather conditions. Go on. Can- candles? A steady supply of high-quality podcasts. Yes, of course. On, yeah, That's right. what we delivered to our wonderful World Service members last week, helping you through the boredom as cabin fever set in. That's the kind of body-on-the-line bravery that we're willing to offer the rest of you Monday-only listeners. And now is a pretty good time to sign up, because next week we're going to be celebrating the second captain's fifth birthday, believe it or not, in style. We'll be announcing a bunch of amazing interviews coming up, and there'll be some live show action to tell you about as well. You can become a member now on secondcaptains.com and get in just before the party's starting. There's a big party about to start, and you're invited. Be a bit awkward if you're coming halfway through. You'll still be invited halfway through, don't worry. But I'd say get in there now. Yeah, you'd feel more at home. It's BYOB, by the way. But other than that, <laughs> um, you're, you're, you're more than welcome. We're starting the build-up to Ireland-Scotland today with Jim Hamilton, who played for the Scots when they beat Ireland. The Jocks. Indeed. But we're going to start with what's left of the reputations of Bradley Wiggins, Dave Brailsford, and Team Sky after today's publication of the report in, into doping in sport by MPs in the UK. So this report finds that Wiggins used performance-enhancing drugs under the guise of treating a legitimate medical condition in order to win the 2012 Tour de France. It says Team Sky abused the anti-doping system to allow Wiggins and possibly sport riders to take powerful corticosteroids to prepare them for the Tour. Team Sky crossed an ethical line, it says, by using drugs that are allowed, they are allowed under anti-doping rules, 
but they use them not for medical need, instead to improve power to weight ratios and an effect that helped them in that tour. The background to all this is that Wiggins has been, the Russian hackers revealed in 2016 that he had, had obtained a medical exemption to use triamcinolone. I've been saying it off air, been practicing it. Yeah, no, I think I got right. there. This is the corticosteroid that has a history of abuse and cycling. So this is that was the, the initial background to it. There was also the Daily Mail's revelations about a medical package ordered by Team Sky for Wiggins in June 2011, a jiffy bag that it allegedly contained triamcinolone, um, which they denied. They eventually came up with uh, a completely different explanation to it. Now, the Digital Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee, that's the name of the group, who have undertaken this report. They say it's not in a position to state for definite what was in that bag delivered to Wiggins, but it added there's no reliable evidence to back up Team Sky's claim that the medical package contained a legal decongestant. So hopefully that's not too much much detail there. I'm just trying to get a bit of a basic or give you a handle in case you haven't read any of these reports today on the very latest with this. Jeremy Whittle of The Times is going to explain a bit further. If it's possible to quantify, Jeremy, who do you think is most damaged by this report today? The cyclist, Bradley Wiggins, the team boss, Dave Brailsford, or the team itself, Team Sky? Um, I would say, in in order, (laughs) if there's a hierarchy you can give to that, I'd say Dave Brailsford. Um, I think his position has become completely untenable. I mean, I did think that some time ago. In fact, I thought that after he gave his evidence to the DCMS Select Committee, um, which was well well over a year ago now, um, and said so at the time. And I think that uh, he's become a, a kind of um, an albatross around the team's neck. If the team, the team, and the riders want to thrive and survive then I think uh, he should he should leave. Um, and then at least they have a chance of kind of um, moving on from this really messy situation, which has just been dragging on for a very long time. And I also I also think that, I mean, it's it's now put, uh, cast serious doubt over Chris Troom's ability to avoid a sanction, I'd have thought, um, in the Subutamore case, because I'm absolutely certain that, you know, even, even with the most... Uh, dispassionate view uh anybody looking at the report and then looking at Froome's case will will have that in mind when they examine the the rationale for his subitimal findings so what do you think has emerged with regards to brailsford's handling of this, this this whole thing what's emerged today that casts his his role as you say in an untenable light well, I think it's a series of errors of judgment, um, unbridled ambition, a kind of blind spot when it came to uh, considering how he'd handled situations, how he'd handled individuals, how he'd handled the media, a kind of arrogance as well um, that has permeated and got and got worse and worse. I think in the past two or three years and the more successful they became it, it it seemed the more conceited and arrogant they became as well that they they were beyond reproach and beyond any kind of questioning now the report's very careful because it it's it talks about unethical behavior and they they support that with quotes from uh, a range of people some anonymous sources uh, some sources on record such as Shane Sutton um, and then they all so talk about legality as well. And, you know, it's important, of course, to say that no anti-doping violation has taken place. But that's the kind of last resort, clinging on to that, because this is about credibility. And <clears throat> the MPs, the Select Committee, clearly question the credibility of Dave Brailsford. Uh, they clearly question the credibility 
credibility of British cycling and their medical records. <clears throat> and if that isn't damning for somebody who's a knight of the realm, who was knighted by the Queen in Buckingham Palace, and then his credibility is questioned by her MPs, if that isn't damning, if that isn't reason enough for him to, to stand down, I don't know what could be. Yeah, some of the wording is interesting here, and you've alluded to some of it there from the report. This powerful corticosteroid was being used, we believe, to prepare Bradley Wiggins and possibly other riders supporting him for the Tour de France, particularly in 2012. The purpose of this was not to treat medical need, but to improve his power to rate ratio ahead of the race. He benefited from the performance-enhancing properties of this drug during the race. This does not constitute a violation of the water code, but it does cross the ethical line that Dave Brailsford says he himself drew for Team Sky. From what you're saying, that doesn't cut any ice with you that's not something that that team sky can cling on to that well we didn't actually break any water rules here this isn't a positive doping test and we're still in some sort of a gray area well i think it's disingenuous for them to say that or to argue that because i'm sure that the many hundreds of thousands or millions even of fans of their fans have always believed that there were there were no drugs of any kind involved in their success because that's what they've been led to believe by Dave Brailsford, by Chris Froome and by Bradley Wiggins, plus other leading riders associated with the team. So that, you know, the, the idea that they kind of told us that, uh, you know, they were they were within the rules, but that didn't mean that they were doing other stuff that was out of competition and that was allowed within the weather rules just doesn't wash. Because this is a, this to me, as I said earlier, is about credibility. It's not about anti-doping sanctions or anti-doping violations. I know, I know. again, some people will say, oh, well, it is really. But for me, this is clearly about credibility because when you, when you repeatedly have this mantra of we are clean, you know, but I think for the general man in the street, that implies that you just do not cheat in any way, shape or form or you don't even play the rules. You don't game the rules. Did we ever get to the bottom of what was in the jiffy bag? We don't in the report, although yeah. um, the testimony from Sh- the written testimony from Shane Sutton, which is different to the evidence he gave when he appeared before the committee, seems to suguest that it may well have been tramcinolone. Um, uh, but again, it's not particularly clear, um, although the suggestion is there in the report. Um, I think the Jiffy bag, again, I think the Jiffy bag, it's kind of really relevant. It's like, you know... We need to know who these other riders were who may, who may have been using, who who it's claimed were using corticosteroids in 2012 to prepare as as Wiggins prepared for the Tour de France. But in a way, that's not. It doesn't matter who the names were. It's this for me. This is always about um, a culture. What does it what what does it represent in terms of a change of culture within cycling? Well, what it suggests to me is that you know. 20 years since the Festina affair and, you know, however many years it is since Lance Armstrong confessed, we, how far have we moved on in terms of the culture and cycling that is still very reliant on product performance enhancement? Is this the end of the team? You say that you think Brailsford needs to go. If Brailsford does go, does Team Sky exist? Will, will Sky continue to sponsor them? If not, would they be toxic for anyone else to touch? What do you think is going to happen there? Well, I think it's all very finely balanced, isn't it? Because obviously you've got um, <laughs> the issues piling up now. You had enough issues before, and then you had the Froome-Salbutamol case, which is still unresolved, and now you've got uh, this whole slew of allegations against um, the team, and particularly against Dave Brailsford. Now, 
Um, there was a time when David Bowes was very lauded in France and very highly kind of respected in France, I think, um, even even despite, I know that there were people at the roadside who were negative towards the team. But within the sport, I think um, there was a bit of a love-in between the Tour de France organisation and also between... Um, some of the some of the other teams within the Velon organisation, which is a kind of almost a Champions League of cycling, I suppose, um, that they felt that this was the way, this was how the future would look. That the team's car model and the attitude that Brailsford had was was how the future would look. But that's gone now, um, and I know, having spoken to off the record um, people at ASO this weekend, that there are major major concerns now about Sky um, as we run into the spring and then towards the Tour de France and obviously Froome's defence of his title and I'd imagine that uh, those concerns would be significantly eased A, by the Froome case being resolved as soon as possible obviously that's out of Sky's hands because it's a UCI matter the International Cycling Union matter um, which they have to deal with but Sky do have control the, the, the team and the sponsor do have control over Brailsford's fate and his destiny so in order to appease the increasing uh, mistrust and, um, I suppose, really, really unease in France. Uh, if Brailsford left, I think that would that would kind of lance the boil. If you'll forgive the expression, <laughs> I think we can, you can probably forgive the expression. All right. Did but you see what I did there? <laughs> I, I liked it. I liked it, Jeremy. We we haven't even talked about Bradley Wiggins. I know you said it's maybe more about Brailsford and the bigger questions, but do you think there's any fight left in Wiggins? I know he says he's, he's, he strongly refutes the claim that any drug was used without medical need. I believe he's going to come out with a more detailed response in the next couple of days. Is there much fight left in Bradley? Yeah, well, he keeps saying, I'll have my say in a few days, you know, and he's said that since the beginning, really. I mean, he said that kind of when the initial story broke over the Jiffy bag. He said it also... Um, I think prior to when he was further questioned about it, prior to the uh, his uh, mooted comeback as a rower, I, he's, and he said it last night. But you know, why didn't he testify to the select committee in person rather than doing a written testimony? Why, why, why wasn't he shouting from the rooftops? I mean, it, it doesn't. You know, whether he's innocent or not, it doesn't look good if you just don't play the game. And it's in in the same way that Richard Freeman, I, I know he I know he had some health problems, um, but he didn't appear before the uh, committee either. And you know, this it's a serious business. I mean, a, a select committee. Okay, it's not a court of law, but it is a serious parliamentary institution, and it looks poor if you don't appear in front of it, and it looks poor if you mislead them. Even worse if you mislead them. But I think Wiggins, Wiggins hasn't played this right at all. Um, I think he's mis misjudged the gravity of the situation. Um, and maybe he's been poorly advised as well. Or maybe he's just been a rabbit in the headlights. But um, unfortunately for him now, I think it's a bit late in the day to start, start saying, oh, I haven't had a chance to, to put my case. He's had lots of chances. Can I ask you just lastly, Jeremy, that I, I know this is something that we've talked about over the years also, that the... This is another case where anti-doping, the anti-doping process hasn't shown anything up, that we've gotten to this point through good reporting and ultimately through this, um, you know, this select committee, the, the, you're talking about the, the government authorities here. Is this in some way uh, a sign of where we're at now with regards to ethics in, in this area of sport that really it's more reliant on avenues other than the traditional idea that you can test somebody for something and find out in black and white terms whether or not they're cheating? 
Well, actually, I, I spoke to Dick Pound um, recently. People may remember his name as one of the, as the founding father of WADA, the World Antidoping Agency. He was a really major critic of cycling back in the late nineties and in the early two thousands, and specifically with Lance Armstrong had a, had a mate serial run-ins with Lance Armstrong, and he just he just said that intelligence is going to be the way forward. It's not going to be you know the mobile home parked on the finish line where you walk in and when you do it you know you do a little sample um he said that is that's kind of old school and it was it will still happen but the way forward will be intelligence and encouraging whistleblowers to come forward and what i find most depressing about the culture in britain is that um we've had whistleblowers and they've all been hung out to dry basically i i, I can't think of many whistleblowers who've been welcomed with open arms either by the federation of um, by the governing body of the sport in which they they work or they compete or who've been welcomed by the government or by UK anti-doping and you know UK anti-doping can point um, to underfunding and under-resource for investigations which they do in the report and also in their response to the report which they published this morning but the reality is that you know if somebody takes a huge risk somebody's been in an organization takes a huge risk and comes forward and says there's unethical practice here there's you know legality at stake and there's doping going on that person should be welcomed with open arms rather than shunned and too often i think that has been the case so hopefully we'll now see much greater respect given to people who risk so much to come forward with information absolutely jeremy brilliant stuff as always thank you cheers off to bed i went my head was fried i didn't even know there was a damn card Absolute in the fucking i was horror. devastated i'd been off the smokes a while saw that back on there <laughs> i had a date organized for that night a first date with someone cancelled that my head was gone <laughs> woke up the following morning and to my absolute amazement i read this message on my phone let me tell you, you're only getting this because you're a former player of mine and <laughs> I'm not too sure too many journalists would have got the third time lucky. Hi Richie, sorry the equipment didn't work again, but it's no problem for me to do it again. Maybe see you in Ipswich one day for third time lucky. Best wishes, Mickey. Best wishes, Mickey. I got the job on a Wednesday. I'd been a player up until that, that yeah. Wednesday. Took the training on Thursday. I picked the team on Friday and I took the game on Saturday. So I got the job on the Wednesday. I'd been a player up until that, that yeah. Wednesday. Took the training on Thursday. Picked the team on Friday and I took the game on Saturday. So it's a bit of a whirlwind. Oh God. And I'm just looking down, I think all the red lights are still on. It looks like we've recorded this successfully. Mick, thank you so much for agreeing to do this so many times. Richie, I sincerely hope so because there's no fourth time lucky, let me tell you. Alright, I have that Wiggins quote that I was thinking of there while talking to Jeremy. He said that I find it so sad that accusations can be made where people can be accused of things they've never done, which are then regarded as facts. I strongly refute the claim that any drug was used without medical need. I hope to have my say in the next few days and to put my side across. So Jeremy's going to hold his breath a little bit there. Maybe not hold his breath. Waiting for that one, we'll see. Team Sky say that the report details, again, areas in the past where we have already acknowledged the team fell short. However, the report also makes a serious claim that medication has been used by the team to enhance performance. We strongly refute this. The report also includes an allegation of widespread triamcinolone used by Team Sky riders ahead of the 2012 Tour de France. Again, we strongly refute this allegation. 
We are surprised and disappointed that the committee has chosen to present an anonymous and potentially malicious claim in this way without presenting any evidence or giving us an opportunity to respond. This is unfair to the team and to the riders. And they go on about how they uh, compete clean and they have responsibility to their, to their riders and so on. I don't know what you guys make uh, make of this one. You've been listening to myself and Jeremy, not our rider. Yeah. Well, there's one thing I would say about this is I hope this is the sort of thing that changes people's minds about what uh, has gone on in Team Sky over the last six or seven years. And it's not... Basically, is it a, is it a smoking gun for people who have been, like, uh, you know, uh, hugely enthusiastic Team Sky supporters over the last six or seven years for them to sit down and say, right, wow, God, I've just been wrong about this all along. Uh, I don't know how many of them there are. Are there many people? Because it, it, in the UK, a lot of the this media is, and a lot of the public in the UK have gone, have in fairness, gone against Team Sky. So oftentimes, when you're looking for the really the people who will not stop supporting them, mm. it's people in their own country, and, and they are there as well. I'm not saying they're not, yeah. but uh, I, you know, I, I kind of feel like the tide of public opinion has ter- been turned against them over the last year or so. Yeah, well, you're uh, not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I mean, anytime you read anyone who tweets about this story, the res- the replies are often mind-boggling, to be honest. Mm. Um, you know, UK track cycling has not escaped even remotely from the from all of this. And yet, you know, the gold medal rush is still unbelievably widely lauded. You're not going to turn on BBC Sport and hear a lot of people saying that, you know, we gotta start, we've got to start, we're going to have to start asking questions about all of these track cycling gold medals that we've won over the last, uh, you know, 10 years or more. And, you know, until that happens, then there will be plenty of people who will say, well, that's good enough for me. I'm, you know, there w- no one's failed a, uh, a drug test here. So as far as I'm concerned, everything that I've been breathlessly supporting and waving my Union Jack for over the last 10 years. No one waves Union funny. Jack anymore, apart from Brexiteers, maybe. You don't Not wave a Team it as- GB is. Okay. Oh, maybe a it's, maybe it's just GB. TGB, is, of course. And, yeah. It is actually the flag of GB, yeah. yeah. And that's who we're talking about here. Yeah, no, I stand corrected there then. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you. I suppose I am the. Uh, I am Joe Public here. Mm-hmm. Hi, hi, Joe. Um, because cycling isn't isn't a big deal to me. You know, I I obviously used to watch when Lance Armstrong was around, but he's gone now. So uh, when I see this, I mean, the, the words "Team Sky" to me are just like. I mean, just a joke. I mean, uh, you, you're talking about people breathlessly supporting them. I mean, okay, I suppose there's there's no shortage of idiots around, but I, I find it hard to imagine how any other type of person could could get behind these guys. I have no interest in them. I, I'm not even angry about them. I just have I just have kind of disinterest and contempt for them. I mean, I I, I do remember I, I remember when Bradley Wiggins had his moment six years ago, and he was doing the you know he won the Tour de France and the Olympic metal and like lit the Olympic torch and all this kind of stuff. He, he, he lit the torch? He was definitely involved. He was in, heavily involved in all of it. And there, there was an article that came out around that time where he was talking about doping and how it just wouldn't be worth it like for someone in his position and you know because of his values and, and the way that he lived and his and wife and family and friends and village. Uh, and he said, uh, just quoting for the article, if I doped I would potentially stand to lose everything. It's a long list. My reputation, my livelihood, my marriage, my family, my house, everything I've achieved, my Olympic medals, my world titles, the CBE I was given. I'd have to take my children to the school gates in a small Lancashire village. 
with everyone looking at me, knowing I had cheated, knowing I had perhaps won the Tour de France, but then been caught. I remember in 2007 throwing that Cofidis kit in the bin at that small airport where no one knew me because I didn't want any chance of being associated with doping. Then I imagine how it would be in a tiny community where everyone knows everyone. A tiny community where he lives, that is. Mm. And I always remember thinking, I remember reading it at the time going, wow, this whole thing is like a paranoid musing on what it would be like to get caught for doping. We should say that the, that he hasn't doped He's used medic, you know, he's, stuff he's, he's for me- medicine in a non-medical to context. Enhance performances, exactly. Yeah, 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 to improve his power to weigh. I mean, okay, you know, it's it is the kind of trap that cycling is in. You know, I mean, if any, anyone who wants to win in cycling has to do this, hmm. it's like living in a crime novel. You know, and you're like the the bad guy, or you're actually the hero, but you've got a kind of a dark side that a lot of people don't know about. You know, it must actually be a really interesting way to live for a certain type of person. Trying to stay. I mean, Lance obviously loved it. You know, he he lived. Lance might have got more fun out of it than just winning clean. Well, he was the ideal person for this for this life because because to him it was just this massive like oh it was, it was just a movie and he was the star and I'm I'm sure that there are, there are plenty of people I don't know as much about Bradley Wiggins to be honest but there there are plenty of people who actually would be like oh I, f- I kind of feel bad but this is making me feel bad I don't think Armstrong felt bad for a second no. no. He loved it. Like uh, uh, not alone am I the best cyclist. I'm also the best cheater. But I love I love that clip of Armstrong. Wait, before he got caught, like uh, he's in the he was in the break between cycling. You know when he when he went, took off with his six or five whatever he, he had won at that stage, and before he came back for another go, and uh, he's talking to like Bob Schieffer. You know Bob Schieffer, that uh, white haired American newscaster yeah. guy. Uh, this would have been like 2007 or something. And the conversation just suddenly turns to like doping in the ancient Olympics. And I've never seen someone just come alive so much <laughs> as when the conversation turns to this. Armstrong is, oh, you wouldn't believe they're doping. Cocaine, everything. And you're like, did they have cocaine in, in pre-Columbian Europe? I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the facts. But Lance was a, a huge believer. You know, When you saw his enthusiasm for doping in the ancient Olympics, you know, it... I thought it was revealing at the time, <laughs> you know, watching him get so excited. He loved it. I don't think everybody does, but I'm sure some of them do. It's a kind of a, you know, for it gives you something to think about in the saddle, you know. There's a lot of boring hours of training involved, but at least, you know, when you've got, when you're actually fighting this secret, like, war against all these, you know, these international detective agencies, it's just a bit Jason Byrne, Byrne like, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. I hope they're having fun. It's difficult for anyone outside the community to get into it. Because it's like, well, this is all just nonsense, you know? And it is a pity that anyone who wants to win has to dope because this, it seems to me there's no other way of winning in the sport, you know? Uh, which, which makes me wonder, you know, if you really love the sport, maybe it's not about winning. Maybe it's just about cycling in the mountains, you know? Maybe that's, maybe that's just what you... Just forget about the comp- uh, competition side of it, unless you also want to enter into the, the Jason Bourne side of it. Ireland have yet to lose a home game in the Six Nations in four and a half seasons under Joe Schmidt, which is very remarkable. Scotland have won only two away games outside of Rome since the tournament became the Six Nations in the year 2000. On the face of it, we should remain, that being Ireland, should remain in course for Grand Slam through to Twickenham. But that's assuming Scotland don't reproduce some of their Murrayfield magic. Jim Hamilton was on the Scottish team that beat Ireland at Croke Park in 2010 and is with us now. Jim, great to chat to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks very much. Has the mood of euphoria subsided or has it run through to this week since the brilliant win over England? I think the hangover is still going through to this week um, because it was a big win. Um, I remember leaving Edinburgh actually on the Sunday. I was doing some commentary for 
the Saracens Leicester game on the Sunday and it was literally like zombie apocalypse when I left. It was at half five, six in the morning. But, you know, that was a big win for Scotland. Everyone knew that. Um, you know, people hit me with all these stats. Hadn't scored a try against England since 2004 at Murrayfield. And and now it's we're seeing this new generation of Scotland team not defying the odds, but, but changing the mould slightly. The question, of course, is whether they can do it away from home. Have you got any particular theory as to why there has been such a disparity in form, even in this Six Nations, particularly the card of performance compared to the France game and particularly the game against England at home? Uh, look, uh, you can't put your finger on it. You know, the Scotland team, it's been been hot and cold for many years, but I think we're seeing more hotter days that, that, than colder days. And the away form is something that everyone speaks about, and rightly so, because it's there. You, you mentioned the stats there outside Rome. There's been no real success. You know, there were sporadic cases in, you know, 2010, you mentioned there. I think the year before, in 2009, we went to Argentina and won back-to-back tests. But, you know, consistently to beat the big teams, and the big big teams being England, Ireland and Wales, obviously, in this instance, and, and France, you could say that, Scotland have struggled. But, you know, the mould needs to change. It is. We saw that in the England game. We saw that away in Australia, in Sydney in the summer. Um, the issue that Scotland had is backing up performances as well. And, and again, going back to the autumn, um, sorry, the, the summer tour against Australia, then they go away to Fiji and lose. So, you know, the, the, this t- Scotland team is definitely on the upward curve. Um, and they're coming to Dublin confident, obviously, because of the back of that performance. But they know that they're going to need to be at that level to be in the game, let alone win the game. Because this Irish team, as you you guys will all know probably better than me, uh, and as a fan of rugby now, this Irish team are the team to beat. I remember sitting behind at a great view of Dan Park's winning kick against Ireland in 2010 at Croke Park. and it was, It's such a sickening feeling when you lose a game like that at home in particular. Would, would you fancy yourselves to win? What are your own memories of being out there that day? Um, well, I've got vivid memories of, of the whole championship. You know, as, as a Scotland team, we, it was that dreaded year for us in 2010 where we were winning at the Millennium Stadium, which it was then, obviously, in Cardiff. Um, with four minutes to go, we were beating Wales and Shane Williams scored two tries in, in the last three minutes of the game. And obviously the championship was over for us and, and, and Ireland were were Grand Slam favourites. You know, they were going on to win it. And for us, we performed well that year, uh, but we just hadn't got the results, which was kind of story of my Scotland career, really. You know, there were games that we were always in it, but, you know, we definitely turned up in that game. We scored a wonder try early on. Obviously, John Beattie scored that and it was close. And... Uh, you know, Dan Parks had a difficult kick and you saw what it meant to the guys in 2010 because no one wins in Dublin. It's a very hard place to play, as results have shown. Uh, but that meant a lot to us as a group because we were going through a pretty torrid time in terms of the injuries that we picked up that Six Nations and also the results we were always battling out for Italy for that, that, that dreaded wooden spoon. So for me, that was one of my biggest wins in the Scotland jersey. Um, not Not just because it was you know, the way in which we won it. But it, it was the fact that it was against Ireland who were a fantastic team. And uh, obviously the last game to be played at Croke Park, emotions were high and, and we kind of upset the a- apple cart, if you like, which which is always nice in sport. Did you get a sense that the Irish team or certainly that the atmosphere around the place that day was that this was a foregone conclusion, that of course Ireland were going to win this game? Because I think we were getting a little cocky with ourselves back then. Yeah, I think, you know, that, that sometimes happened. You know, when you played for Scotland, it was a double-edged sword sometimes. You, you know, it was one of them where you could almost feel the the lead-up to it, that it was a foregone conclusion. You know, you go to England away, and it normally was. You know, it usually was. You know, you go to England, you, you get smashed, you go to Ireland, and you, 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 uh, you lose comfortably as well. But 
Yeah, I think for us, you know, we had been playing well, but maybe from the Irish team, this was just a stepping stone. I can't think who they had the, the week after. I don't know if you can remember, but obviously, you know, you get through Scotland and then you're on the home straight. And did it feel like that? Well, not really, because we have had success against Ireland in, in recent years. Obviously, the World Cup build-up in 2007, um, the game in 2013 after that and we saw last year so the Irish team is a team that Scotland have seen success against it, you know it's not the mystique of you know a New Zealand team that Scotland have failed to beat so I suppose there was that but there was the added extra that we didn't want to be the whipping boys and, and as I say again it was a huge win for us in the context of the tournament and also you know, the context of that kick for Dan Parks to get at the very end. We have this this record that we've, we've both mentioned already, Jim, at home over the last few years, not just in the Six Nations. We've been very good in test matches, beating a lot of good teams, came close to beating New Zealand here and backing up the win in Chicago. But I don't know, is there anything particular? Is that just because there's a, we happen to have a good coach and good players? I presume there's nothing about the Aviva Stadium that's particularly intimidating. You know, I watch a lot of Six Nations and i got to say Murrayfield in particular on days like the match against England, Cardiff on a lot of big days seem to me kind of more raucous than what you get in Dublin. Yeah, I think I think definitely. And, you know, there is that New Zealand feel. You go there, you know, into you, know, you play in like a New Zealand stadium similar to Dublin in terms of, yes, it's a big stadium and, you, you know, the atmosphere is great. But I think speaking frankly, when you play against Ireland and when you've played against Ireland in my era and this era now, they're just a good, good team. You know, they're just well coached. They've they've got great players. They've got players who are proven winners. They've got a team full of British lions, and and that's the simple facts of it. You know, the ocean does come into rugby and does come into sport. Of course, it does. But generally speaking, and you know, again, that's been proven that you need to be a good team, and that's what Ireland are. And we've seen that in recent seasons. We've seen where other teams have been on the demise. Your likes of Wales, we've seen them slump. Uh, France, especially. Um, England obviously around around the World Cup but Ireland are one of these teams that are just consistently very very good and they're very well coached they've got motivated players you've got leaders across the board but the franchises that you've got in Munster Leinster Ulster Connaught in themselves they're performing now as well uh, week in week out Tactically speaking Jim are you expecting Scotland to be able to open up as they were against England? Um I, I can't see I can't see that happening because I think Ireland are too well coached uh, they've got too good of players and they know that now Scotland can play at that level and you know the fact that there's this extra week in between for preparation there's obviously going to be more analysis you know I've seen chinks in the Ireland defence armoury you know, they look a little bit vulnerable when they go wide and we know Scotland likes to play this wide wide game um but for me, it all comes down to the breakdown. Obviously, the referee was Nigel Owens that day. We got Scotland, got the bounce of the ball. Did they get the bounce of the referee? You know, it's neither here nor there because a lot of people think that we did. I thought Nigel Owens refereed fantastic. But everything went Scotland's way against England. The breakdown, the decisions, the bounce of the ball. But for me, you know, this Irish team is so well coached. Different referee. I think it's Wayne Barnes who who referees the breakdown very differently. Um, and, of course, it's not going to be the same as England. I can't see Scotland playing as freely as they have because that's where they look most comfortable. And if they do, then it's going to be a very, very close game. It's going to be a longer day, a longer afternoon for Ireland than they probably hope for. I read your Sunday Times article, Jim, and I have to ask you, because for the benefit of those people who haven't heard, um, the story of a rather embarrassing moment that you had in celebrating the victory in Dublin that night. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was embarrassing. I wouldn't say it was embarrassing. It was, um, it was fun, um, and it's you know it almost made my life. Um, yeah, cool. so I spoke about it in in my Times columns that, that I did. I spoke about it on the podcast as well. Is you know basically this famous win in two thousand and ten, 
And as we mentioned, Scotland, we didn't win many away games. We didn't win many games at all in my era. But we went out and celebrated this one. And Crystal's, I think, in Dublin is, is, is the place to go. Naturally, we head to the VIP area because that's where you go when you win games. It wasn't in there very much. And there was a group of guys, cool-looking guys. They had beards, um, pretty chilled. Got sat there, got chatting to them. And as we were chatting and amongst the hysteria of being in the VIP lounge of a nightclub, loads of people coming over asking for photos. And I'm having to stop the guys mid-conversation, apologising for the amount of people that were coming up over. And I had to say, look, you know, it's a pretty big deal. We, you know, we just beat Ireland today. And first time in a long time they've lost. So apologies for all the photos and bringing people in. And we're having maybe 10, 15, 20, let's say 100 group photo shots throughout the night. Yep. Didn't think any, anything of it. Felt like a bit of a big timer. And then as these guys got up and walked out, Everyone had their iPhone uh, torches on. There was loads of hysteria. There was security escorting them out. And I said to the to the security guard, I said, well, you know, what's the, the sketch with these guys? And he said, well, they're the Mumford & Sons, a uh, pretty famous band from Dublin or from Ireland. <laughs> uh, and I tried to ask if I'd never heard of them, but of course I'd heard of them. So that's my claim to fame in Dublin. Um, I know them. I'm not too sure they know me. All right. Well, listen, we'll leave it there. I might just ask you for a break before you go. Do you want to give it a, an upset Scots win? I wouldn't put my mortgage on it, but I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. I'm going to back Scotland. Of course I am. You know, I think it's going to be an 18-15 victory to Scotland. But, you know, they've, they've got Scotland have got to turn up. They have to turn up like they did against England. They've got to be better. And they've got to hope that Ireland have got an off day and, and Sexton misses a few kicks. So that's my heart saying that. My head, I'm not going to give you that reaction because I won't be allowed back into Scotland. Jim Hamilton, <laughs> fair enough answer. Listen, great to talk to you today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. He's stealing yards. He's stealing yards. He needs to get back. Get back. Who's going to be the man? See the one person. Higgins now for Mayo. Comes back with Durkin. Good score, buddy. Bring ya, buy ya. Fair play to ya. Paddy Durkin. The Mayo support are off their feet. We're level once more here at Copa. It's Kerry 2.14. Mayo 2.14. There's a minute, just over a minute left. Lord up, Brett. Lord up. We need to win this kick out. Come on, Mayo. Come on, Mayo. Come on. It's Kerry 2.14. Mayo 2.14. Kelly with kick out. Who's going to win it? Who's going to be the man? See Go on, Carson. Tom Carson. Oh, it's going straight to Kerry man number 6 now tying Molly that's with number 8 David Ford Ford to Sheehan has just done it a male man's gone tight no it's a free for Kerry a free for Kerry about 50 metres out oh oh this is heartbreaking it's a free from Kerry right in the middle of the pitch he's after taking he should be going back further he has stolen a yard or two watch him yeah. He's stealing yards, he's stealing yards, he needs to get back, get back! We played five minutes, which has been a lot of injury time. Kerry 2-14, Mayo 2-14, Kerry to win it with Brian Sheehan. Sheehan, he oh, goes, yes, go it's all right, keep going, go away, go away. Is it going out? No, Mayo man gets him, it's still in play. That's yeah, full time. It's all over. Full time. It's all over, we're oh, going to have to do it all over God. again. What a game. What an absolute thriller. And credit to both sets of players. Credited them for the effort they gave, for the passion they put into it, for the football they played, for the actual sportsmanship that was there, for the actual scores that they got. That game had everything that you want to see except a Mayo win.
I'm just furiously double checking here to see if Mumford and Sons are Irish. That might have just been a slip from Jim at the end. No, London. They are, they are. They, they are from, from London. You ever London, had that experience? England. Ken, were you ever sitting beside r- true celebrity without recognising it? Um, I mm-hmm. once met the founder of Tinder and I didn't know who he was. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, do you know who he is? No. Well, then, he's not a true celebrity. Did, did you he wasn't actually the founder was? of Tinder at that time either. Tinder didn't exist. It was before he Well, then it was Tinder. definitely was understandable. This, was this the guy, you were at some swanky dinner party and came in the following day full of tales about the internet. Was this the guy? <laughs> this guy, yeah. yeah sounds, you were, sounds, you, like, sounds like someone's me, first trip to Web Summit. Yeah, yeah. You were telling me about um, about how how many, how much euro you could get for retweets depending on how many followers you had. <clears throat> this was Sean Rad, the the, the, right, uh, okay. the Tinder founder, and he was saying at that stage he was he was he was paying well, he was, people. Yeah, he was part of a consultancy putting uh, products uh, and people who have loads of Twitter followers together. Well, it was kind of the nascent influencer economy, I suppose. You know, paying people to tweet about brands, basically. Mm. You know, and if you were, you know, Kardashian. You could get a hundred thousand dollars. I don't know. If, I mean, I assume the Kardashians would get a lot more than that now. Yeah. You know, maybe this well, actually was a, was a growth business at the time. It sounded as though this is a good way to make your money disappear. Giving <laughs> giving people a hundred grand to tweet about a brand just it seems, you know, like yeah. quite an inefficient way of spending ad money. But you know, he's gone from strength to strength. Now. Well, he's. I think hasn't he? He's been in and out a few times at, at Tinder. Mm. Uh, so I, think, I think I think after every interview he resigns or apologizes <laughs> or something. And then had, there's been a few of those types of few yeah. of those types of things. A couple yeah. of stories doing around. He did give a great quote. Uh, he did give a great quote one time, and he was he was doing one of these talks. You know the way these tech founders are always doing a talk on a stage. Um, his quote was, uh, "Apparently, there's a term for someone who gets turned on by intellectual stuff. You know, just talking." What's the word? I want to say sodomy? <laughs> I don't know. Nobody knows what the word was. It's not sodomy. It wasn't sometimes, sodomy, whatever it was. Sometimes the word that's on the tip of your tongue isn't actually the word. <laughs> sometimes your brain just puts its your hand on the wrong word. But yeah. I don't know what word he was, he was actually thinking about there. What word would it Someone be? Someone who's turned on my intellectual stuff. We'll leave that hanging and let somebody come to a conclusion themselves maybe I'm sure there's some words floating around some people's heads <laughs> thanks very much Murph thanks Ken thank you Owen thanks Owen thank we we'll have loads Ken. of build up to Ireland's following during the week Ken. thanks for listening bye bye which one is that that's the second time it's gone off they never go home they never go home they never go home those, those, those boys Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.